Please open our eyes to the gospel today, and please help us to see the truth in it. In Jesus Christ, amen. I'm going to be speaking from uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 18, and uh, in your pew Bibles, I think it's 956. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no, no right to refrain from working for living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is for the oxen that God is concerned. Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do, we, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure any, anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure my own provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we got rain again. Is this, is this awesome? God has just been gracious to, uh, to our land, and, and he seems to be timing it with the gathering of God's people on Sunday morning, uh, those of you that were here last week. And I just want to thank the Lord once again for uh, the rain and for his provision in, in so many ways uh, in our lives. Some, some people have access to lots of resources, and they don't use them. Um, some people have access to thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars, and yet live an outrageously modest 
lifestyle. When we see something like that, when we see someone who has all kinds of money, could live in a beautiful home in the foothills or in San Francisco or Manhattan or Paris or wherever, but but chooses to live um, in a van um, and eat simple foods and and not shower, it makes us ask a question, uh, why, why would you do that? And uh, this, this guy uh, here, uh, Alex uh, Honnold, uh, fits this description. And I'm going to talk about him a little bit today and, and show you a little bit about uh, his life. Let me show you this video clip uh, from a few years ago. It's about 30 seconds long. Take a look at, take a look at this. That's my family in the background there, in case you're wondering. Is this really your home? Yeah, this is, when I'm in the U.S., this is mostly my, my home, you know. It's pretty comfortable, it's pretty cozy, you know, it's easy to move around. Do you just park on the side of a road? Yeah. Do you go days without showering? Yeah, of course. Almost everything Alex owns is in this van. He survives on less than $1,000 a month. You can go anywhere. You know, tomorrow morning I could wake up and I could drive to the East Coast and then climb there. So, so this guy has multinational corporations sponsoring him, this, this guy right here. He's got access to all kinds of money. He lives in a van. He eats power bars, doesn't shower a whole lot. Uh, why, why, why would you do that? Um, so give you a little bit, another clip here, uh, about a two-minute click of, uh, clip of, of why this guy uh, does this. Let's take a look. From time to time, we come across someone who can do something so remarkable that it defies belief, and in this case, seems to defy gravity. It's the story of Alex Honnold. He's a 26-year-old rock climber from Sacramento, California, but not just any rock climber. He scales walls higher than the Empire State Building, and he does it without any ropes or protection. It's a kind of climbing called free soloing, and the penalty for error is certain death. We first heard about him in a movie called Alone on the Wall, a harrowing account of one of his most extraordinary feats, the first free solo climb up the northwest face of Half Dome, a towering 2,000-foot wall in Yosemite National Park. This past summer, we met up with Alex at Yosemite to watch what he does firsthand. What you're about to see is someone holding onto a wall thousands of feet above the ground with nothing to stop him if he falls. The story will continue in a moment. Here, Alex Honnold is 2,600 feet above the Yosemite Valley floor, trying to haul himself up the slippery granite wall of Sentinel. He's so high, he disappears into the mountain. Alex moves seamlessly across a section of flaky, unstable rock, pausing to dry a sweaty hand in his bag of chalk. There's nothing but him, the wall, and the wind. He's up here without ropes or a safety harness. All he has is a pair of rubber climbing shoes. This is what climbers call free soloing, and it's so dangerous 
that less than 1% of people who climb attempt it. So we get an answer. Sorry here, you guys want to keep watching this instead of hearing me. Uh, um, sorry about that. But um, we, we get an answer to the question, uh, why would you do that with him? Uh, wh- why would you live in a van and not shower any power bars? This guy loves to climb. He doesn't have the same desires and loves that, that most of us have. So his desire is to be out there. And so when you see him living this way, and you ask the question, why would you do that? You, you, you get the answer. We're going to come back to him in a few moments for reasons that you probably couldn't uh, imagine. And so I'm going to come back to him, but I want this morning, as we approach getting into the Word of God now, I want all of us to be asking ourselves this question in a more broad way. Why would you do that? Why would you do that when it comes to our Christian lives? If someone carefully observed the life of the Apostle Paul, one of the questions that they would ask about the Apostle Paul is why would you do that? They would ask him that question for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons is that the Apostle Paul has access to resources that he does not utilize. Now, the Apostle Paul is a guy who literally wrote the book about getting paid for preaching the gospel. He said preachers who preach the gospel should be paid for their work and their labors. Not only should they be paid, not only should they be honored, but it should be double honor is what he writes. But Paul himself refuses that payment. Take a look here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says to them, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Paul was there preaching the gospel. He wrote the book on that you should pay preachers of the gospel well, even double honor, but he refused that payment. Leave that up there, Michael. He, he, uh, he, refused, he refused that payment. He, he worked with toil and hardship night and day, doing manual labor is the reference here. Paul was a, uh, a seamstress. Is that feminine? He was a seamer. What, what do you call it? Seamster. Thank you. I like a church that talks to me when I want to hear them. Um, <clears throat> he's, a, he's a, what was it? Seamster? Seam, whatever. He, he sewed leather with a needle and worked night and day and did not accept money from the church, whatever church he was in, from that church that he was preaching in. Go, go to the next, next slide here. Was it a sin? This is now to Corinth in 2 Corinthians. He's writing to Corinth now. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. Interesting there. Let's pause for a second. So he, he would collect money from other churches 
Okay? But not the church of the locale where he was. He wouldn't do that. He would stay up all night working, doing manual labor, so he didn't have to do that. Even though he wrote the book saying you should pay preachers of the gospel double honor. So going on, and when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. So I want to use this as as a framework, as an introduction, as we get into our passage today, as we journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. I want to use this question, why would you do that? Not just in the realm of finances, what we've talked about so far, or receiving income. I I want each of us to be asking the question, if someone was carefully observing our lives, would they ask the question, why would you do that? And, and, and what would the answer be? Or they maybe not even ask the question at all. Do they not see anything uh, unusual in your life? We're going to find the answer in, in today's passage, which Ryan uh, read for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Hopefully you're still there. Let's turn there. We're going to find the answer, especially to why Paul refused to access this payment. Why would you do that? So let's, uh, let's go. We're going to work our way through some of this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul begins there. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not, are you the Corinthian church, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, some people doubted his apostolic authority, Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The very beginning here of chapter 9, Paul is bringing up this idea of freedom. We we have this big division in our our Bibles between chapter 8 and chapter 9, but they really just flow right together. And for those of you that missed uh, last week, just a quick summary of what happened in chapter 8. That there was a group of arrogant Corinthian Christians who were going and, and, and eating and buying meat that has been sacrificed to idols. So for those of you that missed this last week. And these arrogant Corinthian Christians are going and eating this meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And they're doing so at the expense of these, these new Christians, these young, immature Christians who have just recently been involved in temple worship and idolatry and all of the immorality that goes with that. And they are tempted to go back into that lifestyle. And so in short, Paul says to these, these arrogant Corinthian Christians who are eating meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat the meat. Yes, you're right. You have the freedom to eat it, but don't do it. And so here in chapter 9, he's continuing in that theme. And what he does in chapter 9, we're going to look at some of it today. What he basically does is he says, look at my example of what I have done with my freedom. Not when it comes to eat, uh, not when it comes to eating meat, but look what I have done when it comes to my freedom, when it comes to compensation. And so he's beginning with this theme, am I not free? He's free. Am I not an apostle? He's an apostle. Has he seen Jesus, our Lord? Yes, he has. One of the 
One of the marks of an apostle is that he's, he's been with Jesus and Paul was there on that Damascus road and he interacted with Jesus. Another mark of an apostle is that he does the mission of an apostle and he has planted the church at Corinth. You, Corinth, he says in verse 2, are the seal of my apostleship. Look at verse 3. This is an important verse. He says there, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Chapter 9 is basically his defense of those who would be in judgment on him. And it's an illustration of, of what you do with your freedom as a Christian. So we have to ask the question, what is the judgment? Who's, who's judging him here in, in, in verse 3? And if we can go way back now to, to early in, in the uh, book of uh, 1 Corinthians, you remember uh, Paul was under criticism because he wasn't a very good speaker. He wasn't very eloquent. And in Corinth, they had this professional speaking circuit and different people came and and uh, both outside the church and inside the church. Uh, secular people would come and they would give these very polished, logical, rhetorical speeches. That, that Instead of going to movies, people would go and they, and they would watch these guys speak. And they would have sponsors. They would have patrons. They would have people that would pay them. And so depending on your payment and who sponsored you kind of showed how quality, how prestigious, how... How, uh, how much status you had as a speaker. And some of them were very well-to-do. And so the judgment in verse 3, where Paul says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment of me, are some of these Corinthian Christians, probably the arrogant ones, were probably very well-to-do. And some of them thought Paul should be sponsored by them or by their church. If you're going to be legit, Paul, if you're not going to be looked at as like you're on the JV speaking circuit, you need to collect the, the, the kind of fees that, that, that Colin Powell collects when he comes. You know, he hasn't spoken here recently, Colin Powell, right? Um, Paul says, no, I ain't playing that game. I am not playing that game. I'm not going to collect that from the church or from individuals or, 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 or individuals. Why? We're going to see why. I'm not going to play that game. Verse 4. Now this is interesting because now he's, he's making the opposite argument here about the rights that preachers of the gospel have. Look at verse 4. Don't we have the right to food and drink? By that he means don't we right, have the right to get paid for the gospel so my food and drink comes from that instead of working with my hands? Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles? Most of the apostles were married. And the Lord's brothers, here is physical brothers, his half-brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, they were married. And Cephas, Peter, he was married. Again, Paul here is, is bringing out this idea of this freedom that he has to be married, to work, and to receive this income, but he is foregoing this freedom. Verse 6, Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Meaning working with our hands. Not getting paid as preachers, as missionaries of the gospel. 
And then he continues this argument for, for paying preachers, for paying those who do their work. And he gives all these examples. Look at verse 7. Let's read through this. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? So he's, he's been talking about secular things. Now he shifts gears. Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. I, I, I just, I, I got to stop here. I just love that verse out of Deuteronomy 25. Paul's bringing the human aspect out here, but, but God is, is, is such a gracious God that he wants oxen to benefit from the work that they're doing. Don't muzzle them. I just, I like that. You like that? I just, I like that. Some of you are falling asleep. All right, here we go. Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out grain. His point isn't animals here, though, Paul isn't. This isn't Paul's point. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material, uh, a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? <laughs> I mean, he's making the argument for paying him well. For preaching the gospel. He's going way out of his way to say this is, this is the way things should be. But he's saying, I'm not going to take it myself. I'm not going to take the, the payment from the church or from these rich patrons in the church. Here's his answer in the end of verse 12. Why would you do that, Paul? Why would you do that? We did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul is thinking about unbelievers in the audience at Corinth. He's thinking about people that don't know the Lord Jesus. And people who are used to like coming to a movie and hearing professional speakers and hearing all this and, and knowing how much they get paid and knowing how famous they are and knowing how illustrious they are. And Paul is thinking it is going to be a hindrance for them for me to play in that circuit. And so I'm not going to do it. I'm giving up my right. In fact, Paul wrote the book on that right for the sake of promoting the gospel because Paul loves people. And he wants them to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to find joy in this life and in life eternal. So he's using himself as an example to these arrogant Corinthians who don't want to give up the freedom that they have and they want to keep eating this, this meat, sacrificed to idols. So why would you do that? A close examination of Paul's life would raise uh, this question would be raised for all kinds of reasons. Why would you do that? Why would you live that way? Why would you put yourself at risk, Paul, and go out and talk to people that want to kill you? Why would you get on ships and, and, and go in places not knowing how you're going to be provided for? Why would you do that? One uh, commentator, uh, Charles Hodge, he summarizes Paul, Paul's heart here and, and what's going on in chapter 9. 
This is what Paul would say. My whole course of action is regulated for the promotion of the gospel. Everything that I do. So I'm going to give stuff up. Not because I get brownie points from God for giving it up, but to promote the gospel. So even though I wrote the book on payment compensation for those who preach the gospel, I'm not going to take it from the people in the community where I'm preaching. I don't want them to have any reason to think I'm doing this for any other reason than for them to know Christ. He goes on. Just highlight a couple other verses here. Coming out of the end of verse 12, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. He, he goes on and, and, and he tells us his point. Look at verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He makes his, himself a slave to everyone and he's working hard, laid into the night with his hands so that people will come to know Jesus. Look at verse 23. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? That's the question for today. If people were able to examine your life really closely, would they, would they even ask that question about your life? Would they say, why does she do that? Why does he do that? And if they answered that question, are they going to get to an answer like our friend Alex who, who loves to climb mountains? Well, that's why he lives there. I get that. That's why he lives in a van even though he's got a multinational corporation sponsoring him. He doesn't love the same things we love. If someone looked at your life closely, would they even ask the question, why does she do that? Why does he do that? You know, our lives are very different than the Apostle Paul's. But our mission is the same mission, to make disciples. What I mean that they're very different is we're not all going to be church planners and traveling around without a family, putting our lives at risk and preaching the gospel to people that, that would maybe want to kill us. I mean, we're, we're not all going to be Paul. I, I, I get that. But I believe that God wants to lead you and God wants to lead me in exceptional ways to display the gospel in your life and to win as many as possible so that people would look at your life, no matter what your age, no matter where you work or if you're retired, that people would look at your life and they would say, why does she do that? Why does he do that? And our answer, even though what we're doing is very different, our answer would be for the promotion of the gospel so that we would win as many as possible to him. So, I think one of our problems, you've heard these uh, statistics of kids that grow up in the church and what happens to them once they grow up. I'm seeing some of your heads nod if you're not familiar with this. The statistics are that kids grow up in the church and once they are out of the house or 
out from mom and dad who are believers, uh, they're, they're, they're gone from the church. And in fact, this guy, Alex, uh, fits this category. And I'm going to show you here his uh, two-minute testimony. In fact, we'll call it an anti-testimony. Okay, this is an anti-testimony. It's about two minutes. Take a look at, at this climber's test, anti-testimony. My name is Alex Honnold, and I'm an atheist rock climber. I love rock climbing. I love being outside. I love traveling. Um, and I guess I find meaning in all those things. Well, I come back to Yosemite every, pretty much every season, every spring and fall, um, just because the walls are huge. The, the, the cliffs are really inspiring. The weather is really good. It's also really convenient. It's kind of close to my home. I mean, there are a lot of things that draw me here. But, um, I mean, it is, like, legitimately some of the best climbing in the world. I was taken to church for maybe like five or six years as a kid that I can remember, and at no point did I ever think that there was anything going on with church. I just always saw it as like a bunch of old people eating stale wafers. You know, I was like, that's totally weird to me. I would like look at the rafters and imagine climbing around on things, and like our church was built like a bunker kind of, and I could imagine like a nuclear apocalypse happening outside and us all surviving, you know, just whatever. But I had nothing to do with church. I was like, now a letter from Paul to the Corinthians. You're like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, for sure I've had moments of, you know, sublime bliss, whatever you want to call it. Like, generally in places with epic vistas, you know, or on top of some mountain, or, or sometimes after a hard day of climbing or something, you get to the top and it's sunset and everything looks magical. And, you know, for sure I've had some magic moments, like, in nature. I mean, I've probably had more moments like that than most, really, because I live in places like this all the time, you know, and I'm like outdoors doing this kind of stuff all the time. I guess by not believing in an afterlife, it just sort of forces you to, to make the most of this life, you know, to actually get the most out of the time you have. And uh, I probably have, I mean, that probably has affected the way I live my life a little bit by really accepting the fact that I'm just another animal on the earth and that I will die in my time and that, you know, I only have a limited amount of time and I have to use it. church kid who, uh, who grew up to believe he's another animal on the earth. And I don't want to make too much of his arguments, his existential arguments of, of what his church was like. But I don't think he asked the question about the people in his church. Why did they do that? I think what he saw in his church growing up were people who professed a faith in Jesus who looked just like the people of the world, other than they went to a religious service on Sunday morning. In his words, they ate a stale wafer. The Lord Jesus wants to use ordinary people in our church, in his old church, in every church, to do things to promote the gospel of Jesus with joy and with enthusiasm so that people would not look at us as like pathetic, I can't believe I had to go to that for five or six years and I graduated out, but they would say, why did you do that? How did you spend that time loving 
going to Paul's life, loving those, those, those widows and orphans and caring. Why did you do that? Why did you set up this structure to care for women who couldn't be cared for in any other way in your church, Paul? Why did you do that? So I want to give us some examples here, okay? And these, this, these are, uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time, I, I, I'm praying that each of you who love Jesus are, are thinking about this question. Um, if people examined your life closely, would they ask the question, why do you do that? If they don't, praying that there's going to be a change. What would this look like? I want to give you a few snapshots now. We've got to move from the first century to today. What does it look like to be on mission and to care about promoting the gospel and where you work and where you go to school and, and whatever you do in your retirement? What does it look like? I'm going to share just three snapshots with you. And these are, these are snapshots that are like, uh, have you seen the movies where they, they say, inspired by true events? You know what I'm talking about? So I'm taking some liberties here. The, 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 but these are all inspired by true events. These three things. I'm going to share, share with you three quick, quick stories. One of them, just recently, just a few weeks ago, I'm in one of our small groups, and we're just spending time sharing what's been going on in our lives. A group of 10 people, 12 people just sharing what's been going on in their lives. How, how is your life going as you're seeking to live for Jesus and to promote the gospel in this world? What, 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 what's been going on in your life? And one couple shares what they have been doing uh, down in Roseville where they work is they're moving around and they're traveling. And it really took me uh, a little bit by surprise what they were doing. It was someone being led in an exceptional way to display the gospel and to win as, as, as many as possible. And what they were doing, this couple, and they had some downtime in their work, and they're, they're going to a public place, a park or whatever, there's a bench there, and they are standing and, and sitting and reading the Bible out loud in front of people as they're passing by. We were talking about comfort zones this morning. Anybody that out of anybody's comfort zone? That's out of my comfort zone, okay? I've never done that. I'm not saying you should do that. What I am saying is that the Lord Jesus wants to use you in some other exceptional way to promote the gospel. And to win as many as possible. For this couple, it was reading the Bible in public. And praying for conversations and things to happen. I'll tell you of another man. Beautiful Christian family. Well-to-do family. They live in a a million-dollar home. Kids are growing up. Going away to college. They're watching the kids uh, leave. And this, this big house is becoming kind of quiet and unnecessary. And they're realizing that. And at the same time, they've gone on a mission trip to, uh, to Africa. And they've spent some time there. And the Lord has just given them this tremendous heart for Africa and promoting the gospel there. And so this couple, the kids are out of the house now. They, 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 you know, we're hoping some of them might stick around or come back, but they're, they're, they're gone, right? Does that happen? They're just, they're gone. Got this big million dollar house and, and they end up selling this, this million dollar house and moving into $300,000 house. Very different neighborhood. They did this because they invested all of this money. They own their home. 
They invested all this money into this mission in Africa that they're going to more and more now. And so guess what happens? People are coming that used to come to their old house in such and such a neighborhood are coming to their new house in such and such a neighborhood. And they're asking the question, why would you do that? And the interesting thing is, is that they are happier and more joyful. It's not about the house swap. It's about the promotion of the gospel of Jesus. And so they're getting to tell their friends about why they're living in a neighborhood. And there's cars around here that aren't like the cars that we're used to being in our neighborhood. There's a guy actually working on his car over there. Can I still come to that house? God wants to lead you in some exceptional way to promote the gospel, to be on mission. And if all we do is come to a service once a week, we're going to produce a lot more Alex's. We've got to ask God to give us a love for Jesus and his gospel so that we can live not exactly like Paul lived, but in, you, get, you get what I'm trying to say. One last story inspired by true events. Public school teacher loves Jesus very much. This public school teacher, kind of similar to Paul here, kind of crazy-sided arguments. I mean, Paul's arguing pay or Pastors, well, I get an amen on that. Yeah. Pay, your, pay, pay those who preach the gospel really well. He's like arguing that a ton in this chapter, but he's saying, I'm not going to take it. So this public school teacher, his personal preference is very strongly for Christian education. And he's a public school teacher. And so he gets it. He gets, gets judgment from the teacher's of his kids that he sends to a Christian school, why aren't you over here with us? You shouldn't be over there. Worldly, nasty, atheist, liberal, boys going in the girls' restrooms. You shouldn't be over there. Come on over with us. And this public school teacher, from his public school teacher colleagues, are like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you send your kids to that inferior school over there. doesn't really teach them science responsibly. doesn't really, um, doesn't, it, it, it is really JV. He gets it from both sides. He has an opportunity to be promoted to principal, this teacher, public school teacher who loves Jesus. But he doesn't take the promotion to be the principal of the public school, even though his salary would have gone up into another tax bracket. He doesn't take the promotion because he recognizes that he's at this public school on mission, taking the gospel not every day. He's not preaching the gospel as he's teaching. He is displaying the gospel every day. 
And on occasion, there are people who say to him, why do you do that? And he has an opportunity to display the gospel on mission as a public school teacher, and he would never do anything else. He loves his students. Some of them, he gets to know their parents, and he loves their parents. And some of them, he makes disciples of their parents. When people look at our lives, they should ask the question, why are you doing that? And at the end of the answer should be our love for Jesus and his gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you use ordinary people, public school teachers, people in this church, retirees, all kinds of people. So Lord, right now I want to pray for boldness. I want to pray for those who have heard from you today through your word, through the Holy Spirit. I'm praying, Lord, that there's some whose lives need to change pretty dramatically, not sure exactly how, but they're ready to change. Lord, free us from being a church and free us from being a nation of churches of people who look just like the world but go to church on Sunday morning. Nobody wants to have anything to do with that. Rather be in Yosemite. Lord, we pray that that you would make us joyful, that you would help us to love you, that you would protect us from worldliness and just going the way of Help us, Lord. Help us to live as Paul lived. To give up whatever freedoms we need to give up. For the sake of the gospel. That we might, that we, that we might win some. We pray in Jesus' name.